You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. And welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today, we're talking world religions. And when you talk about world religions, where else do you go but the uh, large, just uh, I know of, science and faith think tank in the world? Yeah, it seems kind of odd, but our guest is from Reasons to Believe, and he's written an excellent book on world religions. And... His name is Dr. Ken Sampers. The book is God Among Sages. So who is he? Philosopher and theologian Kenneth Richard Sampers has a great passion for helping people understand the reasonableness and relevance of Christianity's truth claims. He's a senior research scholar of Reasons to Believe and the author of several books, including Christian Endgame and Seven Truths That Changed the World. And he's been on here before talking about the resurrection appearances and how they compare to alien abductions and such. And now we're talking... World religions. So, uh, Dr. Sampras, welcome back to the Deeper Waters podcast. Hi there, Nick. It's a pleasure to be on with you again, and uh, it's uh, always good to be able to talk about these important topics. Okay. If my audience doesn't know who you are, they haven't heard of a prior show before, tell us a bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing. Well, many years ago, uh, I bumped into uh, a person named Walter Martin, uh, Mm -hmm. Dr. Walter Martin. Martin was uh, the original Bible Answer Man mm-hmm. and was the president of the Christian Research Institute. And I used to listen to his show regularly on radio, and um, he had a big influence on me. He was, uh, though I grew up a nominal Catholic, Walter Martin was really the one to first teach me about the Bible, uh, teach me the, the doctrines and values of historic Christianity. And uh, after graduating um, from Concordia University, uh, a Lutheran liberal arts college in Southern California, I went to work for Walter, and uh, I worked at the Christian Research Institute for seven years and, of course, became very interested in different religious movements and religious groups. That's where my first interest really uh, began in in the world's religions. And... um, uh, from there, I uh, taught philosophy and religion at a public college for some time, uh, and then I went to work for Hugh Ross at Reasons to Believe. I'm kind of the oddball on the scholar team. I'm the non-scientist, uh, and I try to uh, bring philosophy and theology to bear on looking at science-faith issues. And so uh, this summer, I'll have been at Reasons to Believe for 20 years, so uh that's kind of a quick overview of my apologetic past. Well, you and I have something in common. There was a time that I worked at the Christian Research Institute as well. It was in the it was after World War It's been in the Hank Hanegraaff era, but I've worked there. Yeah, I remember that. Yes. Hmm. 
Very good. And I'm kind of curious, since you said you're a non-scientist, whenever a lot of them were sitting around, I remember if I asked you this last time, whenever a lot of them were getting together and talking about science and such, do you ever just get completely lost in the discussion? <laughs> I do. Uh, I, I always uh, tell uh, the story that uh, when I'm around my colleagues like Hugh Ross and Buzz Rana and Jeff Swearing, I feel like I understand physics but then when I get home and my son asks me a question, I say, boy, I don't know. So, yeah, science is very challenging. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot about science. and uh, But, yes, um, there are times where I feel like I'm, I'm uh, the odd man out. But uh, they're, they're very patient with me, and uh, they listen to my, my philosophical uh, points. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's a, we've got a very good team at Reasons to Believe. Mm-hmm. Indeed, you do. It's always great to have the people from RTB come on out show here. Now, your book, God Among Sages, I remember I got a, somehow years ago a copy of a, the cassette tapes of, yes, that's how long it was, Who is the Designer? And I think it was Krista who had to do the talk on pluralism and world religions and such which was the, probably seen as the most politically incorrect one, and now you're the one who's done that one, apparently. What inspired you to write God Among Sages? Yeah, thank you for asking that question. You know, about uh, 25 years ago, I was teaching courses in the world's religions and philosophy at a public college, and I would often have students in the class. Some were Muslims, some were Hindus. Uh, Lots of Christians, lots of uh, secularists, atheists as well. But inevitably, they would discover that I was a a Christian. And uh, they would often ask me questions like, why did I pick Jesus instead of Krishna or Buddha? And uh, I had Hindu and Muslim students and became friends with them. And they would ask me questions. And I thought to myself, boy, I wish I had a book that I could give them that would compare Jesus with people like Krishna, Buddha, Confucius, and Muhammad. So 25 years ago is really when I began thinking about writing this book, when I was teaching a lot of courses in uh, the world's religion, philosophy, and logic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of us, when we interact with other religions, we don't really give them the seriousness that they often deserve. For Christians, terms like, where that religion's wrong, and we often read the books, the holy books and such, just to find out what's wrong in them and such. I think you're exactly right. And, Nick, I have to say that, uh, you know, in preparing to write this book and reading a lot about especially the Buddha and Confucius, I, uh, I developed an appreciation for them. Not that I don't seriously disagree with them in some very critical areas, but I began to think that the Buddha and Confucius, um, they were seekers. They were looking uh, for truth, and I appreciated that both uh, Siddhartha Gautama, who the Buddhists call the Buddha, and Confucius, they saw themselves as fellow travelers or pilgrims or seekers, and uh You know, I think it's very important, Nick, to try to follow the golden rule of apologetic, which simply means treat other people's beliefs respectfully, carefully. 
you know, try to understand them the best way you can and not misrepresent them. So, you know, I don't want someone to misrepresent historic Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so I try very hard to be fair and to be careful when I present other people's ideas. It's also that in our day and age, maybe if you lived 50 or 60 years ago, you might have a hard time encountering someone from another religion if you lived in America. But now here, if you have the internet, you're probably going to contact people of other religions. And my wife and I live in a suburb of Atlanta here in Georgia. And in the apartment complex we live in, I see people who I think are Hindus. I see ladies in burqas. I see some Mormons going down the street, and unfortunately, they've never come and knocked on our door yet. I've been so hopeful every time. But they, these people are everywhere. Our neighbors are of different religions, aren't they? That's a great point, Nick. I mean, you know, 50 years ago, if you wanted to talk with a Muslim or a Hindu, you'd probably have to go overseas. But today, not only with our technology of the web, but we really live in a global society. I mean, People of other religions, the religions of India, Africa, Asia, they have all immigrated to the West. Mm -hmm. And so I live in Southern California where uh, it's very common for people to have co-workers who are Hindus or, or uh, Buddhists or Muslims. I mean, you could, you could have your kids on a soccer team and uh, parents on the soccer team may be Muslims or Hindus. So you're exactly right. Mm -hmm. Uh, we live in a global society now, and uh, taking the gospel to people who uh, affirm other religions uh, is uh, taken on a new light because we now live in a society where people can communicate back and forth. Mm -hmm. And I think we as Christians, we can only be benefited really if we study these other religions, especially our dialogues. I still remember. A few years ago, I was on the internet dialogue with a Muslim, and said, well, and I asked him, well, have you ever really read the New Testament? He said, no. Have you ever read the Quran? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's very important, and I think that, uh, you know, one thing I do in my world religions, comparative religions courses at Biola is I require the students to actually go out and interview somebody who holds a different religious worldview. So mm -hmm. they have to talk to a Muslim or to a Hindu or to a Buddhist or to a member of, uh, you know, the Krishna society. And, Nick, it really it changes them. You know, it's one thing to be kind of an armchair philosopher or apologist where you read books about other religions – it's very different when you actually go out and talk with people who hold these religions mm -hmm. and learn how to communicate with them. And so that's one very important reason that I wrote my book. I want to help Christians to feel comfortable to be able to say, look, I, after reading Ken's book, I think I can have an intelligent conversation with people who hold different religions. Uh, my book doesn't cover everything. I don't know any book that could cover everything on, on all of these major religions. But that's really why I wrote the book. I want to help Christians to feel more confident and to feel like they can share their faith and they can have an intelligent conversation with people who hold different religious views. Now, you start out, of course, with a good defense of the deity of Christ and Christianity, and we've covered that on a lot of other shows. 
And since we've only got an hour, I really want to skip to the other religions and such for the most part. And one of the first ones that comes to our mind today is Islam. And this one can be very difficult for us to talk about today because just most any week you can go and turn the news and hear a radical Islamic terrorist went on a curing spree and I think even just this past week there was a story about Allahu Akbar being shouted a few times and curings taking place and people look and say, well, there's Islam and it's really hard to not have a negative view. I think you're right. Uh, I mean, Islam is clearly the most controversial world religion in the world. And with the uh, great challenge of terrorism and radical Islam, I, I think it is very easy for people who live in the West, maybe even particularly Americans and even Christians, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to have a very negative uh, perspective. And, and in many ways, there are good reasons for that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to be able to move beyond that and to say, these are people who are made in the image of God. Yep. These are people who need to hear the truth. And, um, you know, it is possible for Christians and Muslims to have uh, respectful and thoughtful uh, relationships with one another. When I was teaching again at a public college, I met a number of Muslim students and I became friends with them. And I would ask them what they thought about uh Christianity, and I would even ask them, well, what do you think about people in your religion that kill people in the name of God? And I have to say, most of them were very troubled by that idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, So, yeah, you're right. Islam is clearly the most controversial of all the world's religions. Yeah, I'm sure you've read uh, Nabil Qureshi's story about how he became a Christian, and his family was also troubled by this. They were deeply grieved by 9-11, as well, and I, I think that while there are definitely a, a lot of Muslims out there who are very antagonistic and such, that way, many of our Muslim neighbors probably have no real desire to pick up a gun or a sword and start coming after us. That's that's exactly right. Um, you know, Islam is a very large religion, very diverse. Uh, maybe 1.6 billion people. Most uh, Muslims live actually in Asia rather than the Middle East, uh, Indonesia, India, Pakistan. These are very large Islamic countries. But I agree with you. I think that uh, the vast majority of Muslims, uh, they're really trying to live their life, raise their families, earn a living. uh, I don't think that they're a threat. Um, That doesn't That doesn't mitigate the great concern that we have about terrorism in our world. But it it does indicate, I think, that um, I think it's important to treat people as they have dignity and uh, they're important because they're made in the image of God. And uh, I think that we can be respectful of people, even if we have strong disagreements with them. And so sometimes I'm a little concerned that people in the West and maybe even Christians um, uh, really are not as compassionate enough to maybe build up a a relationship with a Muslim, develop a friendship, uh, and then take opportunities to uh, talk about uh, what they believe about the Quran, what we believe about the Bible, what they think about Muhammad, what we think about Jesus. Um, I've had a very uh, 
very good relationships with talking not only with Muslim students, but even Islamic faculty. And, uh, you know, I have often found that Muslims are curious about what Christians believe. Uh, and so I want to encourage people to, uh, you know, to, to see people around the world as people made in the image of God and to share the, share the gospel with them and, and, to, and to love and respect them as best we can. Yeah, my wife and I were actually talking about world religions on a Easter Sunday, heading over to a, a church member's house for a brunch and such. Yeah, it's a, a very odd thing to be talking about on Easter Sunday, but that's what we were doing. And we started talking about positive things and such. And I said, for instance, about Islam, I said, you know, something I do admire about the Muslims is that the very faithful ones, no matter what they're doing, if they're on a plane or having a debate and such, because I know this has happened with Shabir Ali and such, they will arrange things so they can do their five prayers a day properly. And some of us, we have us struggling enough just praying one time a day and such. Is there anything else you think we can really learn from Islam? You know, that's a, that's a, that's a great topic to bring up. I, 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 like you, I think praying five times a day takes a great deal of discipline. Mm-hmm. I would also say, um, Nick, that, you know, uh, Muslims typically care about learning and education. They care about reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, uh, you know, Muslims uh, believe that uh, their faith and their reason can go together. They typically are people who have a high regard for things like science. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's not true of each and every Muslim, but I, I typically think that uh, some of the Muslims I've dialogued with, they're open to logic and arguments and scientific data. And uh, that's usually very different than what you discover in kind of the Eastern mystical religion. So I think Muslims and Christians have very important things in common. We both are monotheists. We both Uh, see our faith going back to Abraham. Uh, We both believe that uh, God created the world. So there are some very important common ground, and I encourage Christians to try to build that common ground. And then we can move to the areas where we have sharp differences, like things like the Trinity and the deity of Christ and, Mm -hmm. you know, salvation by grace. But you're right, there are some things that uh, Muslims do well. And uh, I don't think it's a bad thing for Christians to acknowledge when people in other religions do things that we think are good. In my philosophy, I'm a a Thomist, actually. I'm I'm Protestant, but I'm very Thomistic. And I've said before that if you went back to the Middle Ages and you put Thomas Aquinas, the Christian, Moses Maimonides, the Jew, and Avicenna, the Muslim in a room together and had him talk about God, for quite a while there'll be a whole lot of nodding of heads in agreement. If they went with just philosophy alone, they'd pretty much be agreeing on a whole lot of things. That's a that's a terrific point. I completely agree with you. I think that there have been times when um I mean the Islamic worldview, the is- Islamic ideas about God and reality were so influential that Thomas Aquinas felt the need to write a response to it. And uh, I viewed Thomas Aquinas as maybe the brightest Christian who's ever lived. Certainly, 
one of the brightest bulbs in Christendom. And mm -hmm. uh, I think you're exactly right. There has always been uh, a dialogue between intellectual Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Well, I'd like to remind everyone of you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. I've got Dr. Kenneth Sampers here from Reasons to Believe talking about his book, God Among Sages. So if you're interested in dialoguing with world religions, this is what you talk with. But next week, if you're interested in dialoguing with people in honor-shame cultures, something I'm very passionate about since the Bible comes from one, you're going to be, want to be here because I've got Jason Georges coming on here, co-author of the book Ministry in Honor-Shame Cultures. We're going to talk about how do you approach people whose cultural mindset is totally different regardless of what religion they have. But for now, let's get back to uh, Dr. Sampras here talking about God among sages. Now, of course, everything we're saying about a religion, we're just getting a picture and a paragraph of it. There's really no way we could cover, we could do due justice, even if we had a whole two-hour show. We cannot do due justice, so I encourage people, if any one of these religions is something you really want to invest in, go out and invest in it. And also in your book, Dr. Sampras, you have recommended reading by Christians and non-Christians on each of these religions, don't you? I do. I, I think, again, uh, kind of touching on uh, that idea of the golden rule of apologetic, mm -hmm. I think it's very important uh, that Christians write books that, uh, the, you know, if a person we were, uh, if a person held a view, maybe an Islamic view, a Buddhist view, uh, Confucianism uh, or Hinduism, I think it's important that people would be able to look at what we've written and recognize, hey, they're quoting uh, the best authorities in our religion. Uh, they know the, the, the sources that are respected. And so I do recommend not only good Christian material, because, again, no book can cover everything, and I cover a lot of ground, but I also have books that are written that defend these positions. Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, I, I think that that is I think that that is very important. And I would say, Nick, that uh, I think Islam is a big challenge to Christianity, certainly in terms of world population. I mean, uh, the Pew report said a couple years ago that they uh, they believe that trends continue by 2050 there'll be about 9 billion people in the world, 3 billion Christian, 3 billion Muslim, and then 3, mil, 3 billion others, uh, other religions, skeptics. So obviously Islam is not going to go away. I would also say, however, Nick, that I think Buddhism is a very serious challenge to Christianity. And the reason I say that, I mean, uh, Buddhists make up maybe, you know, 400 or 500 million, so they're not nearly as large as uh, Islam or even as large as Hinduism, certainly not nearly as large as, as Christendom. But Nick, I think that Buddhism is a challenge because it deals with the problem of pain and suffering. It has a philosophical perspective on uh, the challenge of, of, of evil and suffering. And I think many people are drawn to Buddhism because uh, in original Buddhism called Theravada or Theravada Buddhism, you need not believe in God. So you can have a spirituality without necessarily uh, a traditional religious point of view. So I think that, uh, I think that uh, Buddhism is, a, is an intellectual challenge to Christianity that, that Christians uh, should take seriously. 
Yeah, I was thinking maybe one of the other things about Buddhism also is the whole kind of worldview can be very popular in a Hollywood mindset as well. You go out and you get your few hours or so of meditation in a day, I mean, you just go out and live your life the way that you want to. And there, there is so much influence from the Far East in our world today. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. My wife, for instance, is a big anime fan and such. Mm. And so we have some good discussions about that. And I, for instance, grew up in the gaming industry, so I'm still a big Final Fantasy fan. And yes, I do note that pretty much every single time the church shows up in a game, it's evil, which really makes me think maybe we need to improve how we look to the Japanese people. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, Buddhism, it, it, that, that's one of those things that a lot of people don't understand because I've been told about the Buddhist religion, you pretty much need a PhD in philosophy to understand it. Boy, that's 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 so true. I mean, when I was writing, uh, I had the great fortune. I I had my manuscript, and I asked uh, Wynn Corsion and Rob Bowman to mm. read through it and give me mm -hmm. some feedback and criticism. And both of them are very strong in the world's religions. I think Wynn Corsion may be one of Evangelical's best thinkers in that field. But they've also both been on the show before. <laughs> yeah, they're they're wonderful. Uh, thinkers and apologists, both of them. And, you know, um, I was very thankful that uh, Rob and Wynn were able to kind of help me think through Buddhism. And uh, I agree with you. Uh, there are times with Buddhist philosophy where I, I'm kind of groping to try to understand. It is a very complicated system. And Wynn Corsion says that uh, Buddhism has more denominations, that is more divisions and groups within it than even Protestantism. Wow. So it is a, it is a very diverse and very complicated philosophical system. I think another great mind I'd look at on Buddhism in the Christian world as well would be Rafi Zacharias. Yes. Particularly his book, The Lotus and the Cross, and how he did go and talk to a number of Buddhist scholars and ask them questions before writing it. I'm very thankful for uh, Ravi's ministry. Uh, Reasons to Believe uh, has a, a good relationship with RZYM and... Uh, you know, I have to say, I've never heard anybody say anything bad about Ravi Zacharias, and that's pretty amazing because apologists aren't always very friendly toward one another, and uh, I've always heard what a what a great gentleman he is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ravi, had, in fact, for me, when I first started studying apologetics, Ravi was the person I gravitated to the most, and yeah, it's a funny story. One Christmas, my I was a college student. My dad asked, well, what would you like for Christmas? And I said, I'd really like to meet Ravi Zacharias. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dad doesn't have any connections, but you know what, Father, we want to do everything we can. And that April, I got to go and talk with Ravi in his office and such, and that was such a treat. And just a couple of months ago, we saw him again. He didn't recognize me at first, but as soon as he did, wow, how are you doing and such. So, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a great guy. But let's talk about Buddhism some. What really is Buddhism? Yeah, it's it's a philosophy and a religion that came out of Hinduism. Uh, Hinduism is kind of the granddaddy of all religions. Buddhism came out of Hinduism, Jainism, Sikhism. Uh, Siddhartha Gautama is born somewhere between the 7th 
and 5th century. It, one thing, Nick, that was very interesting in studying about the lives of people like Krishna, Buddha, Confucius, and Muhammad is uh, that there is a lot of uh, doubt about the dates, mm-hmm. in particularly about Buddha. Buddhist scholars are uncertain what century he was born in. I mean, he could have been born as early as the 7th century uh, B.C., or as late as, you know, the, the 5th or 4th century. But, but we know that he was a man of history. Uh, the Buddhist monks carried on an oral tradition about him. Um, he is a person who was born into uh, kind of a uh, well-to-do life and uh, through his own experiences became, became a truth seeker. But I would say that uh, Buddhism is, is deeply uh, focused on the Four Noble Truths. Uh, these are the ideas that, uh, that life is filled with suffering, that suffering is tied to our attachment to a world that is changing and is passing away, and uh, uh, that the way of stopping suffering is to, is to stop being to stop desiring the worlds, to stop being attached to the world, and then ultimately by following what they they call the uh, the eight uh, fold path. And so, Buddhism doesn't, at least original Buddhism, didn't necessarily believe in God. Uh, Siddhartha Gautama, who became the Buddha, said that uh, uh, he didn't really talk much about God. Now there are other uh, more evolved branches of Buddhism, like Mahayana Buddhism, where you have belief in a lot of gods and spirits and deities. But uh, Buddhism is really a philosophy and a religion that tries to deal with what they believe is the great problem of of pain and suffering. And Buddha had an experience, a mystical experience of what he would later call nirvana, which he interpreted as the solution to these great challenges. And so, uh, as you mentioned, Buddhism is a very philosophical system, uh, but it is a, a system that, again, tries to deal with the challenge of uh, the impermanence of nature, the suffering in the world, uh, and the, the uh, exploration of the, the nature of reality. If I was thinking about what we can get and learn from Buddhism and such, I'd have two things come mind. First off is the importance of having a good theodicy, and for those who don't know, it means the addressing of a problem of evil, and we have had a few shows on that. And I'd also say that there can be something to the idea that we can get too attached to many things in this world. And such. Um, do you have anything you'd like to add to that, or maybe yeah, what you'd like to I think you're right on. I mean, I certainly, um, certainly, we believe that a spiritual life is uh, critical. We also believe that you can be attached to impermanent things in life. Those are those are areas I think we can have common ground. Um, I think Buddhists are they value reflection. They they value analysis. All of those are are very good things. Uh, and that common ground can then help us to move to questions of, you know, what is the ultimate? And uh, should we think of God in theistic terms as opposed to 
maybe mystical terms or in terms of atheistic. So absolutely, the, there are things in Buddhism that, uh, you know, we think are, we think are important that, uh, and, and, you know, Nick, that's really a, an important thing. I think that sometimes Christians think that because these world religions are false religions, that mm-hmm. they get everything wrong. Right. That we couldn't possibly agree with anything in them. And I think that that is mistaken. Mm-hmm. I think because people are made in the image of God and because God has revealed himself in nature and the human conscience, what Christian theologians call general revelation, I think that what we should expect to find, and in fact I think it's what we do find, is that people in other religions get some important things right, particularly certain ideas about ethics and spirituality, but they mix them with false ideas about God, about uh, about Christ, and, and they have conflicting holy books. Well, if we're going to understand the uh, idea of Buddhism, we probably also need to understand the grandfather religion before it of Hinduism. And such. Yeah. What what do you what what is Hinduism? Because really that that's one we have a hard time with as well. Yeah, it's it's uh, that's a very important topic. And as I mentioned, Hinduism is the religion that has produced uh, at least three other uh, world religions. Hinduism is an interesting religion. In fact, um, Gerald McDermott looked over my manuscript. And Dr. McDermott says that Hinduism is really a set of religions. I mean, when you look at Hinduism, uh, there are there are Hindus who believe in millions of gods. In fact, it's said of temple Hindus that they believe in 330 million gods. And then there are others in the Advedanta branch of Hinduism who believe in pantheism, monism. All reality is one, and that one reality is God, so everything is God including the universe and human beings. But what's interesting, Nick, is that uh, most Hindus actually worship one God. They're Bhakti Hindus. And, you know, I always thought, I mean, 10 years ago, I thought every Hindu was a pantheist. But the reality is that most Hindus believe in what we call malatriism or a type of monotheism where they worship one God. So I think Gerald McDermott is right. I think we should think of Hinduism as a set of religions. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hinduism uh, obviously has a place for many different views of God. Hinduism is is also a religion that has uh, differing views about what human beings are and what is their challenge. But, you know, if you bump into a Hindu here in America or in other parts of the world, it's likely that they worship one God, and that one God is Krishna. And I think that that's a good thing, at least in the sense that we can begin to say, well, hey, we worship one God, and we can begin to talk about the differences between Krishna uh, and uh, uh, Jesus. So Hinduism is a complicated religion. But it does give us an opportunity to talk about uh, how their views and our views, what common ground we have and where we disagree. Well, I have to remind everyone at this point, you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast, and everything we do here is listener-supported by people like you. And we really do appreciate your help, and we really do need it. I mean, this is really kind of like a 
we we don't have a major funding going on and such, and we're kind of small getting things started, so any help you can give us is great. If you go to the website at deeperwatersapologetics.com, you'll find that there's a way to donate. It says on, on the side, bar, you scroll down, there's a link that says help support for work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. Okay, where if you uh, click on there, you'll get taken to the Ministry of Risen Jesus. That's Mike and Debbie Lacona's ministry. They're my in-laws. They hand over donations and such for us. And you make a donation through them. And it's very important that if you want to make sure it goes to us, you get in touch with me or Allie or Mike or Debbie and say, Hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. And they will make sure that we get that donation. And it will be tax deductible. You can also buy some ebooks I've written or co-written on Amazon, such as oh, Defining Inerrancy or Groundless or God and Natural Disasters, or one I've written myself, A Creed for the Ages, The Apostles' Creed and Today's Christian. And you can also support us by buying jewelry. Now, guys, I want you to be listening to this, okay? We don't usually care for the jewelry ourselves. But the ladies in our lives, they really like that jewelry. And especially with Mother's Day coming up, you want to get mom something really nice, buy it through us. There's a link there if you need some help, get in touch with me. Whatever you buy, 25% of it will go towards Deeper Waters. And you just tell them that, hey, Deeper Waters sent me here and we'll make sure we get the money. And... Guys, when you buy something like this, like I say, if you buy it for that special lady in your life, you can buy something to make up for that past screw-up that you just did. Or you can buy something to make up for that screw-up that I know you're going to make in the future. Now, Dr. Samples, do you have an organization you'd like to see people donate to? Well, uh, along with yours, I uh, appreciate Deeper Waters. And I, I have to say, I just a couple weeks ago, I was... Uh, at a conference with Mike Lacona, and we were talking about the resurrection. I, I really uh, respect and and appreciate Mike Lacona. Uh, you know, the organization I work for, uh, Reasons to Believe, is, uh, is really an important organization. It tries to focus on the challenge of science and faith, and we certainly uh, could use your support, your prayers, your financial gifts. And if you'd like to go on our, our very... Uh, a strong website with lots of wonderful articles. You can go on reasons.org. So hope you'll support Nick's ministry and reasons. So thank you, Nick. Yeah, I don't often get into science concepts and such too much, but Reasons to Believe is one organization I do make an exception for. Got a great bond with people there, and especially with uh, Hugh Ross and I both being on the spectrum, it, it, it forms a unique connection. Yeah, yeah. Now, going back to Hinduism, I think there's something interesting also about so many of these other world religions that they they have a historical foundation many times, but if in comparison with Christianity, if you remove the founder, you could still have many of the teachings and such, but if you compare with Christianity, if you remove Jesus, you really don't have anything left. That's such an important point. Um, you know, Hindu scholars are uncertain whether Krishna was ever 
uh, a historical person. Uh, some think that maybe he was, or there are stories about various individuals that have been mixed with myth and legend. So what's interesting is um, Hindu scholars have lots of doubts about the historicity of Krishna. Buddhist scholars are uncertain about what century the Buddha is in. With Confucius, he certainly was a historical person, but there, there are also challenges as to when the first writings came into existence. And so one very strong point, Nick, about Christianity, and particularly about Jesus, is we know a lot about Jesus. I mean, Christians debate what exact year he was born in. You know, was it 5 or 4 BC? Did he die in 30 AD, or should we move the date to 33? But that's very different than not knowing what century he's born in, whether he is a myth or a legend. So the reality is when I began studying the world's religions carefully and looking at their their leaders, their founders, I discovered that Christians are in a much better position in terms of in terms of what we know about fact and evidence of the life and the the ministry uh, and the great events of the life of Jesus. Yeah, something I can't help but ask, because this is kind of a topic I deal with so much also, is that when you were looking at the lives of people like Krishna and Buddha, there are a lot of people who think Jesus was copied from these because they just have so much in common and such. What do you think about those claims? I hear those claims, too. Um, I address uh, some of that a little bit in my book. I look at, for example, some of the similarities between the Buddha and Jesus. You know, both of them began their ministry right around 30 years old. Uh, You know, both of them uh, had, uh, you know, challenges in terms of, of suffering. Both of them had encounters with kind of evil forces. But, you know, Nick, the, the deeper I've looked into these things, uh, the more I realize that uh, the beliefs, the values, the teachings of these religions are very different than what we find in Judaism and Christianity. And I don't believe there is any, uh, any good, solid evidence to support the idea that Christianity copied or that Jesus is just a copycat. Um, the life and ministry of Jesus is is unique. And, um, you know, there is common ground, particularly in values. But, of course, that's something we should expect. I mean, if people are made in the image of God, they're going to have a conscience and they're going to recognize the importance of morality and spirituality. But um, I've seen no clear and convincing evidence whatsoever that uh, uh, either Jesus or the New Testament, or for that matter, even the Old Testament, did any uh, copying of any of the other world's religions. What do you think we can learn from Hinduism? Yeah, that's a great question. I, uh, I think one thing that we can learn is that um, spirituality is, is a very important thing in life, that uh, I believe that all of us are are spiritual or religious people. Um, I think that's a biblical principle, kind of Romans chapter one. Everybody knows deep within their heart that there is a spiritual reality. I think Hinduism uh, conveys that idea. I also think that Hinduism, in their belief in karma, at least believes that there is something like justice in the universe. And uh, 
I also believe that, uh, you know, they affirm that there is uh, a, a sense of morality. So I think that while Hindus and Christians have very different ideas about the relationship of God, uh, the relationship of salvation, the relationship of the afterlife, yet they do carry some similarities about we live in a spiritual world, we live in a world where justice and morality are very important. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the next religion number is one that I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are a number of people picking up your book, and this is the first time they've heard of it. And if there was any religion that I thought a lot of things could be mixed with Christianity, perhaps, it'd be Confucianism, because so much of it is simply ethics and how to live your life and such. So what is Confucianism? Yeah, Confucius was a Chinese teacher. He was a a philosopher, uh, an educator. Uh, In fact, a couple centuries after his death, he was named um, the most influential thinker in the history of China. Uh, Confucianism became the official philosophy of the Chinese people. Uh, I have to say of all of the people that I looked at carefully in this book, Nick, I found him the most interesting and intriguing. There is a whole school of thinkers about Confucianism that say that Confucius may have not only believed in God, but he may have been a theist. Mm -hmm. He did talk about things like heaven, He did mention the importance of spirituality and God, Uh, but you're exactly right. Much of uh, Confucian thought has to do with proper moral, uh, cultural relationships. Uh, There are people who suggest that maybe Confucianism is better understood as a moral philosophy than it is a specific religion. Mm -hmm. But again, I bring people back to the idea that there are an increasing number of scholars who are giving consideration to, uh, you know, the religiosity of Confucianism. But, you know, there are many truths, uh, uh, respect for for our elders, uh, the idea that, you know, we we should try to live in a world where there is uh, mutual uh, appreciation for for people. I mean, uh, Confucius says what you don't want people to do to you, don't do to them. Some call that the silver rule. It's very close to the golden rule. Jesus probably put it more in explicit terms of, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But Confucianism gets a lot of things right about morality. And uh, I believe it's a very uh, fascinating religion. And personally, Nick, I think Confucius was a world-class philosopher. Mm -hmm. I think he was a first-rate intellectual. Uh, You know, it's not to say that there aren't areas of difference that Christians and Confucianists have, but uh, it is a fascinating religion. And, uh, you know, even today, the communists in China still have to deal with the fact that they have a basic philosophy that has kind of religious roots and and uh, still influences the way Chinese live their life. In fact, I think it was Wen Corzhen, maybe it was uh, maybe it was Gerald McDermott who said this that that um, oftentimes people in the Far East they will 
get their metaphysics from Buddhism, they'll get their spirituality from Taoism, but their basic moral ideas, they follow Confucius. Mm-hmm. And if you think of how many Asian people know of Confucius and respect him, he is a major influence on uh, particularly the Asian world. Mm-hmm. I've had a David Marsher on before. Yeah. Who's a shown me a whole lot about Confucius in his writings. I can tell you his advice. He's a big fan of the fall of Confucius. And one thing he's in, said that's interesting about Confucius is that it's reported that Confucius had said about 500 years after his time that another great sage would show up. And you could look and say, well, another great sage did show up. Mm-hmm. Well, look, there is... Uh And I think that's the way we should think about maybe talking to people from other religions, Nick. Mm -hmm. What kind of common ground can we build? Because, you know, if you go into a discussion with somebody and you ask, you know, what can we agree upon? What, What are areas that are important to both you and I? And what areas can we basically say that we share in common? If we do that, then we can begin to move to the areas where we have differences. I mean, if you just start out with the differences and you have sharp criticisms of someone else, you know, just from a psychological, you know, human point of view, people are going to they're going to become defensive. But if you can talk about the things you have in common and Christians and Confucianists have very important areas uh you know, especially the the moral areas in common, uh, that then can give us an opportunity to later talk about the uniqueness of Jesus, the uniqueness of God's grace and salvation, the great truths of the atonement, the resurrection. Uh, and that's what I propose in my book, that uh, you don't have to know everything about uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, or Islam to have an intelligent conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can study about Jesus and study about these other religious leaders. And, you know, we're all learners. We're all growing. We're all studying. We're all thinking. And so I intend my book to really be a place where, you know, Christians can can get some good information mm-hmm. and they start building uh, a good approach to dialogue and uh, to evangelism and and to relating to people in the world who hold different ideas about God. Yeah, I, I think once again that we all just have to do our due diligence in studies. If we're not taking another religion seriously when we're dialoguing with a person about religion, we're giving them no reason why they should take our seriously. If you meet a Muslim, be willing to read the Quran and then say to him, you should be willing to read the Bible in comparison. That's right. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, uh, We as Christians, we don't know everything about Mm -hmm. the other religions. It's also true that the other religions, often they don't know a lot about Christianity. Mm -hmm. It can be an opportunity to have a real real meaningful exchange of important ideas. I also think it's something interesting about the other world religions and such, that Christianity hasn't really had to change or adapt or have a view about Buddha or Muhammad or Krishna or anyone else. But the other religions, they tend to think they have to have something 
about Jesus. I mean, in Islam, Jesus is a prophet, a messiah and such. In Hinduism, he can be your avatar. In Buddhism, he can be your bodhisattva and such. That it looks like every religion nowadays pretty much seems to have to have to say something about Jesus. I completely agree. I think that uh, Jesus is such a significant person. He lived such an extraordinary life. His his death and resurrection, his teachings really echo when people hear about him and and uh, read the Gospels. Uh, I think the other religions often feel that they need to kind of incorporate Jesus into their religions. And mm-hmm. I think that Hindus and, and Buddhists, uh, and to some degree Muslims, uh, they have tried to incorporate some of that. And, uh, you know, I think what we re- realize is these other religions, they know, mm-hmm. uh, particularly those who've studied Christianity, they know how unique, how special, how extraordinary Jesus is. Mm-hmm. They feel compelled to have an uh, an offer an idea about him, and so again, I think uh, what should be right at the heart of our evangelism is how unique, how special, how precious our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is. I mean, you don't have to know everything about Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, and and Islam to talk about Jesus, to talk about his life. His miracles, his teaching, his death, his resurrection. And that's why I really start the book out in kind of exploring uh, about who Jesus is. And so you're right. You're right. Uh, other religions realize Jesus is special. And they often feel like they have to come up with a perspective on him or, or maybe even try to convey the idea that, uh, you know, Jesus is on their side. And so, um, Nobody can uh, nobody can get around Jesus. He's the most extraordinary person who has ever lived in human history. Yeah, something I was telling Ari a few nights ago, also learned about other scriptures and such, and I said, you know, something I found when I was going through, been going through books like the Quran and the Book of Mormon and things like that, is get done reading them, and when you go back to the Bible and you know, there's really something different about the way the Bible is written. It's like the other works were written trying to be like the Bible. The Bible wasn't trying to be like anything. That's that's so true. I mean, I have, uh, you know, I'm a very bookish person. I, I read a lot. I have a very large library. I've read thousands of books in my life. And I can tell you that... Uh, when you read, when you open up the pages of the Bible, you know, when you read the Gospels or you read the the great stories of the Old Testament, uh, the Bible is alive. It's it's active. It speaks to us about truth and, and goodness and reality. Uh, in a way, I mean, I like to read the great books. I uh, Mortimer Adler really influenced me about reading the great books of Western civilization. But the greatest of the great books. Is, is the Bible itself. It, it speaks about truth and reality in a way that is different from all other books. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, there's really not enough time to ask another question at this point, so we should go ahead and just start wrapping things up here. And if anyone's interested, the book is God Among Sages, How G- Why Jesus is Not Just Another Religious Leader. Now, at the time of this recording... And I'm looking on Amazon. The Kindle edition of this book is nine ninety nine, 
the paperback is 1122. Um, Dr. Sampros, uh, do you have a, a blog, a website, email, way people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more about you? Yes, they can. Um, uh, number one, there is the Reasons website, reasons.org. I also have a, a blog, Reflections by Ken, that is on WordPress. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I produce a fresh article every every week, uh, and I have a podcast that uh, you can listen to called Imago Day. All of that information is on the Reasons.org website. Mm-hmm. And it, aren't you sometimes on another podcast thing? It's called Straight Talk, something like that. Straight thinking, yes. Right. There is. Yes. We have over three hundred episodes that you can you can download for free. Mm-hmm. And do you have any uh, final words you'd like to leave for the Deeper Waters audience today? Well, I want to thank you, Nick, for having me on. Mm-hmm. I've always appreciated uh, the time that I could spend with you. I want to encourage your listeners to support your ministry, uh, to get behind you, and I. Uh, want to convey that uh, I hope maybe God Among Sages will will help them to feel more comfortable in thinking about these religions and maybe having some good conversations with people in the world's religions. Well, I'd like to thank you for coming on, and hopefully we'll see you back here again sometime. Pleasure. I look forward to it, Nick. Thank you very much. It's been great being with you. And while God Among Sages is great for talking to people of other religions, Next week, if you want to learn how to talk to people in a different culture, we're going to be have Jason Georges on talking about a book he co-authored, Ministry in Honor Shame Cultures, one of my favorite topics to talk about. For now, I'm Nick Peters, and I am signing off.